0: Hey guys, I seldom, if ever, give an intro before a podcast, but this one absolutely needs it. I know that throughout my football career, uh, through high school and college, I hated ice. Part of it was just I hated how cold it was, but the other part of it is that I hated how I felt After I put the ice on my body, what I did like, I remember someone had taught me this trick. One of my trainers had said it was, yeah, while they had my foot in this horrible cooling tub, the one time I sprained my ankle, they said, if you want to speed up your recovery, write the alphabet with your big toe. That was a trick that I had used as a player. I felt awesome after I did it, way better than when I just had an ice bag on it or when I put it in a cooling tub, and also it's something that I utilize as a coach. Then, as I learned more and more, what we started doing was not only writing the alphabet with our big toe, we started using bands with the players. When I was a coach, we used these elite FTS bands, and we would do ankle mobility drills, not only – after we got hurt, but hopefully we were doing these type of mobility drills before we got hurt to mobilize the joints. And from what I saw, and I'll say this without hesitation, the athletes on our team that had used these bands, the ones that had tweaked up their ankle, who did not immediately throw ice on it, who did not go to some doctor who put him in a boot or on crutches, they did not miss a game. Maybe they missed a couple of days of practice, but they all suited up and they were able to play. The guys that threw ice on it, went to a doctor, uh, they were out at a minimum two to four weeks. But the guys that followed our protocol came back, were immediately able to play. They did not miss football. So I I knew... Part of the reason why this was so important, I knew about the mobility part, I got that, but what I didn't get, and I could never put, wrap my arms around, was why ice made me feel so bad. I just always felt it was the wrong thing to do, but I didn't want to go against the grain when a trainer was throwing ice on somebody's ankle. I didn't want to be the guy to say, oh, don't ice that joint or don't ice that injury and then have this athlete get into a, a worse situation than they were before. I just didn't have the courage to do it. But fast forward to a few weeks ago, I'm listening to Eric Cressy's podcast on whether to ice or not. And I hear a guy named Gary Reinall speaking about a book that he had written and all the work that he's done. Uh, I would also, I guess I'd phrase it as what he's calling the meltdown, just really talking about whether you should use ice or not. And that's what we're going to talk about into this podcast. I am going to say that I am currently very mad at myself for all the time and energy I wasted as a football coach at camp looking for ice, getting ice tubs for guys, going to find ice bags, having coaches run out. To to buy ice, uh, all this stuff, uh, you're going to learn about why it may not have been the best thing to do. And I'm just I'm mad at myself. I hate wasting time, and I hate putting athletes in a worse spot than they, they should have been uh, under my care especially. So c- give this thing a listen. I'd say get out a pen and pad. Take notes. It is super important. This is legitimately a game changer. I will make note that about, let's say, 43 minutes into it, 44 minutes into it, the volume goes down a little bit. Turn it up. Uh, Turn it up. It kicks back up at about 15 minutes after that, maybe 18 minutes after that. But about 44 minutes into this podcast, the volume goes down a bit. But Gary Reinald, he's the man. Listen to the podcast. I will include his details on how to look him up and follow what he's doing in the email that I send out along with the Instagram message. All right. Enjoy. All right, everyone. Welcome to the Advanced Training Podcast. And I am here with Gary Reinel, author of the book, Iced. Gary, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Uh, my pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: So, Gary, just for those of you that don't know, and hopefully you'll learn quickly, Gary is the author of a book, Iced. Uh, it, it really addresses, I'd say, a controversial topic of whether ice is the answer to healing. He, he's done way more than that. I, I don't want to get too much into that right now because we're going to use a little bit of a story, but we will get into all the details of how he became the man he is and has the knowledge that he has and I uh, love the message that he's spreading. So, Gary, if you don't mind, just bear with me. I'm going to give a, a maybe a, a one-minute scenario of the things that my listeners think about or deal with. And it really starts off with, imagine you're at a at a high school football game, you know, you're a coach or you're a player on the team, and the running back's running through the hole. He gets stood up in the hole, and he tweaks his ankle. So the running back, he gets up by himself. He limps slightly to the sideline, and as he gets to the sideline, he's met by this overly eager trainer. You know, these guys, this is what they get paid to do. This is their moment to shine. The trainer takes the, this football at the running back, rushes him to the bench, slaps a bag of ice on his ankle, doesn't even ask the kid what's wrong. And then with minimal assessment, the trainer goes and tells the coach, look, I want him sitting for the first half. Uh, We'll reassess him at halftime, and then we see what happens. By the time you get to halftime, the running back's ankle is now swollen and immobile. trainer says, look, coach, uh, the guy can't play anymore. Let's shut him down. Have him stay up his ankle all weekend. Let's have him keep it wrapped up. He can put ice on it and elevate it all weekend. The next thing you know, it's Tuesday, and as a coach, you see this kid. He went to the doctor on Monday. And the doctor told him, don't mobilize it. Puts him in a boot, puts him on crutches. Fast forward to six weeks later, the kid comes back to play, but now he's slow, weak, and out of shape. So this is the life of what, what we've seen as football coaches. And I, I, What I'd love to do is really break down this scenario with you, Gary, of what went wrong and what happened and how we can make this simple scenario right. So I guess my first question to you is is, why does that trainer, why would he be putting ice in his mind on this tweaked ankle? Is he trying to prevent swelling? What, what's he trying to do?
1: Um, that's a great question because the way you asked it, uh, it's impossible for me to answer. <laughs> and, and, and the reason it's impossible is because I don't know why that trainer is doing it. If I say generally, why do trainers do it? Well, that I can answer easily. And generally they do it because they believe that if they make the area cold and compress it and rest it, that's going to minimize swelling and help the area heal. When in fact, it's the exact opposite. When you sit still with a bag of ice wrapped tightly around the damaged tissue, it literally traps the waste in and around the damaged site and prevents the natural flow of oxygen and supplies. Now, I'm going to say that again because it's obviously the key point. When you do what's called the RICE protocol, rest, ice, compressed elevate which is what you described at the beginning of your scenario. When you do that, when you rest, ice, compress, and elevate, you literally trap the waste in and around the damaged site and prevent the natural flow of oxygen and supplies, which, of course, leads to the suffocation and killing of otherwise perfectly healthy cells that were not involved in initial Mm -hmm. trauma, which leads to faulty scarring, which leads to systemic disuse atrophy. And you go, well, why would anyone do that? Because they're misinformed. And if you ask anyone that I work with, and I work with over 100 professional athletic teams, over 500 collegiate teams are involved in my network along with the military. If you ask the people that know me who have just listened to the point that I make, would you think it's a good idea to trap the waste in and around the damaged site and prevent the natural flow of oxygen and supplies. I've asked thousands of people that question. No one's ever said yes. And I say, well, that's precisely what you just
0: caused. So th- this trainer thinks he's helping, but he's actually making the scenario worse. And I'm saying, when I say trainer, I mean someone specific, I'm just saying this hypothetical trainer, he's making things worse for the athlete.
1: Significantly worse. He's, what he's done is he has, he has delayed healing, He increased swelling, he caused additional damage, and he shut off the signals that alert you to harmful movement, and you need movement to solve the problem, and you need the signals to alert you to harmful movement. So you've done it exactly wrong. In fact, I'm I'm often asked, what would make it worse? And I
0: say, oh, that's easy. Beat the air with a ball-peen hammer while you're (laughs) doing it. So why is it, uh, you mentioned RICE. I'm sure everyone who's involved with sports has heard of RICE. Where did this, this acronym come from? And why do people think it's, it's the best technique to, to help healing or to prevent further damage?
1: Well, they're taught that in school. And the problem is, is that they're taught in school the RICE protocol. And then they never question it again. They just do it. But in fact, the godfather of the ice age, the Harvard-trained doc, board-certified in four medical professions that invented the Rice Protocol in 1978. After he read my book, he publicly recanted, said I made this up in my 1978 sports medicine book. Research has clearly shown I was wrong and then gives a specific reference to the fact that it causes additional damage. He not only publicly recanted he wrote the forward to the second edition of my book. So let me get this straight for anybody listening. In case you're wondering, is this worth continuing to listen to? Listen to me. It's worth listening to. Here's what happened. He not only wrote the forward to my book. He not only recanted and said, don't do it. It's wrong. But across the entire system, I have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of elite trainers, doctors, and therapists who no longer follow the Rice Protocol. And they don't follow it for the simple reason, it's wrong, it was a mistake. The doctor said, I made a mistake, don't do it, it's wrong. So now you say, so so what do I need to know? What do you need to know is, forget that, stop thinking that, we got that player you're talking about rolled his ankle on the sideline. You have to say, forget the Rice Protocol like you never heard of it. Now, what are you trying to do? trying to help them heal as quick as possible. Okay, that's almost right. But what you're really trying to do is preserve tissue, prevent any further loss, and regenerate that which has been, de- that have been damaged. So you get it? Your job, what you're trying to do, your goal is to prevent further loss and regenerate that which has been destroyed. That's your goal. So all you have to do is ask yourself, well, how's that work? Well, to prevent further loss, the biggest obstacle to that is the congestion and the lack of circulation in the area. So if you're going to decongest the area, there's only one way to decongest. There aren't seven, there's one. The waste has to evacuate via your passive lymphatic system. There's no other way out. It doesn't evaporate. There's no other path. It's got to go back to the passive lymphatic system. And until you decongest the area, all results are compromised. Because as that congestion builds, as it swells, with the word that you use, as it swells, you begin to suffocate and kill otherwise perfectly healthy cells who are not involved in the initial trauma. So if your, jo- if your goal is to preserve, prevent further loss, you have got to control that congestion.
0: Okay. So let's think about how you would move waste to a passive lymphatic system. Let's try this solution. And Gary, just just for my audience, what is a passive lymphatic system? What does that mean? Well,
1: well, your lymphatic system, it's it's a, a mirror system of your vascular system. Your vascular system has veins and arteries. That's how the blood circulates through the body. But there is something called your lymphatic system, where the vessels basically run side by side all the all the the, the vascular vessels, the veins and the arteries. And the lymphatic system is, in effect, your garbage disposal system. So picture your garbage disposal in your kitchen sink. And all the stuff starting to back up and sort of float there in the sink. Until you push that button on the wall and make all that stuff go, and all goes away down the drain, that's how you activate the passive lymphatic system is by not pushing the button on the wall, but activating the muscles in and around the damaged site. In effect, it milks the cow backwards. So that's how it evacuates. There's no other way out. And until you decongest the area, you are going to begin to suffocate and kill otherwise perfectly healthy cells that were not involved in the initial trauma. But wait, it's worse. Not only do you suffocate and kill cells, but because the congestion is building, the pressure starts putting the, the the nerves start having pressure, and then that pressure makes it hurt more. So it's like, well, wait a minute. You mean if I don't decongest the air, it's going to hurt more? Yes, it's going to hurt more. And then on top of that, it not only hurts more, but your function begins to deteriorate. So now you can't bend your ankle because it's swollen and it hurts. So if you had just looked at it up front and said, well, what's my goal? My goal is to preserve and regenerate tissue. So, I want to prevent further loss and I regenerate that which has been destroyed. How do you prevent further loss? Decongest the area. How does it decongest? Let's try this. We'll put a bag of ice on it, sit still, and wrap it tightly in elevator. That'll move it through the lymphatic <laughs> system. You see, it doesn't even make sense if you've never had a, an anatomy class, if you know nothing about muscle physiology. You know that if you have a passive lymphatic system, it doesn't work until you activate the muscles in and around the damaged site. You can't possibly move waste to a passive system by sitting still with a bag of ice wrapped tightly around it. It doesn't even, it's so ridiculous that there is no defense. I, when I give my talks at universities, no one ever raised their hand and said, Well, I think, no, you, as soon as I ask you, there's no more thinking, stop. There is no defense, it's wrong. And the guy who made it up publicly recanted and wrote the foreword to the book that took down his protocol. And for anybody who isn't aware of this, it's the most recognized protocol in Western medicine, the Rice protocol known by every school nurse, every EMT, every parent of an athlete has heard the Rice protocol, doctors, therapists, trainers, everybody knows the Rice protocol. It's the most recognized protocol in Western medicine. It's wrong.
0: And Gary, can you tell us where rice came from? I heard a story, a great story about a, a kid jumping on a freight train. Like where, can you, can you tell us a little bit more about that story? Well, I traced, I traced it back
1: to try to find the origin. And I said, where does this come from? And who made this up? And when I traced it back, it goes back to a young boy named Everett Knowles in Somerville, Massachusetts, back in 1962. And what the young man did was hop the freight train and uh, cheering for himself, hit a stone embutment and ripped his arm right off. And he fell to the ground. He didn't know his arm was off, by the way. Uh, he thought he just broke his arm. And he picked his arm up in his jacket, still not knowing it wasn't attached, just knew that it hurt. And walked his way up the hill and some guys at a factory saw him and got him over to Mass General Hospital. Now, what happened from there on changed history medical history, at changed medical history. The young doctor, but Ronald Malt, Ronald said, you know what? We have a fully intact arm and a perfectly healthy 12-year-old. Let's sew this thing back on. Now, today, reattaching a severed body part is no big deal. 1962, in Nerv and So this is a big deal. And there weren't fax machines or taxes or cell phones, they had to go get the doctors who were going to do this. So there's somebody who was an expert in the vascular system, and needed somebody who knew about nerves, and had somebody who knew about, about the musculoskeletal system. So they had go get these docs, they had to get an anesthesiologist, they had to go get everybody for this emergency reattachment. And Dr. Malt gave the order that literally changed the history of medicine. He said, while we're figuring this out, put that arm on ice. Now, what happens next? Well, when you put the arm on ice, it slows down deterioration of the tissue because it's cold. So you might be saying, oh, why don't we do that then? Well, if your arm is severed, yes, do that. If it's still intact, don't do that. That's not a good plan. Now, what happens next though, is that when they reattach and the hand begins to fill with blood and turns pink, there's cheering in the operating room. And that makes worldwide news. By the way, it made worldwide news, not, not not figuratively, it made worldwide news. When the young boy leaves the hospital and waves out of the wheelchair, it makes worldwide news. For the next several years, every time he did something physical, caught a baseball, uh, signed his name, whatever, it, it made news because it was a big deal. And the reporter, I do not have documentation of the first reporter said that, nor do I know a name, but the reporter asked, the doctors. If this happens, what do we need to know? And with that, the myth begins. Because see, before, if you had your arm pulled off, you just threw it away. You didn't, you didn't have to know anything. There was nothing to know. Hopefully, you didn't die at the spot, right? The doctor said, remain calm, don't panic. That became rest. Keep the severed body part out of the sun. Keep it cool. If you can, that became ice. Use a tourniquet around the intact body area to prevent a bleed out that became compression. Elevate the intact part above the heart to minimize blood loss that became elevation. So you get what happened? It had utterly, literally nothing to do, nothing to do with damaged tissue on a human being. It had to do with preserving a
0: severed body part and preventing a related bleed out. And my guess is that this thing, you know, I I could say it almost when uh, I'll use a modern word viral because it, it rhymed right. It's easy to remember rice. Uh, it's it's easy to get ice, and it just it's it, I guess it just spread because it was something that was easy to do and it gained a little bit of pop a lot of popularity. Well, it,
1: it was easy to do and it did rhyme, but he didn't name it until 1978. So what happened between 62 and 78 was people started doing it. And, and if it was good for a severed arm, clearly it was good for a sprained ankle. So as the popularity grew, Dr. Merkin, who made up the Rice protocol, simply named what was happening. And in fact, in a recent article that I was involved in, Dr. Merkin is quoted by a very, very professional writer. So I'm confident that this is true, what he said. Uh, he said, originally I called it RIC, R-I-C, but that didn't make sense. So he added the E for elevation and made it rice. And rice is nice. It rhymed. And there goes history. Now, I have met with Dr. Merkin, and I have been to his home, and he's a very, very uh, intelligent, fully intact 80-something-year-old who still rides his bike 100 or 200 miles a week, I guess, depending upon the week and whether it rains or not. Uh, But this guy is still a great guy. But look what he did. He recanted, said I was wrong. Don't do it and then wrote the foreword to the book that took down his protocol. That is a very honorable, credible human being.
0: Absolutely. That that speaks volumes, not only about the work that you've done, but about that man, because in this day and age, most people are not willing to say that they're wrong about anything. So it it speaks volumes about the entire situation.
1: Well, to me, uh, I looked at it and said, he made the most recognized protocol in Western medicine. And he's going to admit he was wrong. I mean, think how big that is. That's a big deal. He said, look, I was wrong. That's a, that's a very uh, special human being. And remember also, he's a Harvard-trained doc, board-certified in four medical professions. I'm a reporter. So it's like, why would he ever drop to basically admit my level was right? Well, because I proved it, that's why.
0: So can we, I want to take a, a step back because we, we've talked about swelling. We haven't talked about inflammation. And I want to start off with a phrase that I heard you say, and just to kind of educate our audience. You said, uh, you can have inflammation without healing, but never healing without inflammation. So, so what is inflammation and what does that phrase actually mean?
1: Well, the, the, the process of healing, there's three steps. You can Google it, healing, steps to healing, and, and it'll come right up for you. The three steps are inflammation, repair, and remodel. That's just reality. Here's what happens when you get hurt, your immune system sets off an inflammatory response. Inflammation is a good thing, not a bad thing. When it comes to musculoskeletal damage, inflammation is what causes the healing to occur. That's the first step. So it's inflammation, repair, and remodel. You can't get to the remodeling in other words the the, healed, the fully healed stage until you go through the inflammatory process that's what sends an effect the repair and cleanup crew to the site that's how the body repairs the damaged site inflammation is good not bad it was given a bad name and people caught on to it and uh, they kind of merged the two words inflammation and swelling they're two entirely different concepts by the way the inflammatory response is phase one or three phases of healing. That's in place, that goes. The swelling or the accumulation of waste at the end of the inflammatory cycle that you have not yet evacuated, that's not a good or a bad thing. It's merely the accumulation of waste that you haven't evacuated yet. So you look and you say, oh, so that accumulation of waste at the end of the inflammatory cycle I should try to get rid of that. Well, if you don't, you're going to suffocate and kill otherwise perfectly healthy cells that were not involved in initial trauma and you're going to hit healing. So you better get rid of it. And the only way to get rid of it is by the passive lymphatic system. There, there is no other path out. There's one way out. And it's like, well, well how does it work? Well, the passive lymphatic system is passive. When you activate the muscles in and around the damaged site, in effect, it milks the cow backwards. So just picture yourself milking a cow backwards. That's what it looks like and feels like when your muscles are activated in and around the damaged site and you push the weight out. Now, for anybody who's in sports medicine, just think of an ankle pump. That's what an ankle pump does. You sit there and you pump your ankle, you move your foot up and down. And the reason you're doing that is to push the waist to milk the cow backwards through that passive lymphatic system. So we all know that's true. And in fact, I'm old enough, when I grew up, back in the late 50s, early 60s, anybody who ever got hurt playing sports that I were involved in, the coaches always told us to walk it off. They said, don't sit so still, it'll tighten up, keep moving it. Well, we all knew that. None of us knew that it was a lymphatic system that would make making that work. I never heard those words, had no idea the muscle activation around those vessels milked the cow backwards. Nothing about that, but we knew it was true. Knew it was true, and we knew that if you did it, you felt better a whole bunch quicker than if you didn't do it. And we knew that once you started moving, then the waist would evacuate. And once your ankle wasn't swollen, it felt a lot better. And then it began to heal. But then, you now, or <coughs> I should say, now, not but then, now we understand that if you leave that congestion sit there, you will suffocate and kill, otherwise perfectly healthy cells that were not involved in initial trauma. That's a big problem. You'll develop faulty scarring as a result of the lack of reorganization of those repaired tissues. And then on top of that, because of the lack of use, you will have systemic issues atrophy. Those words were never involved in my directions back in the 50s and early 60s from my coaches. They didn't know that. They never said anything about atrophy. They never said anything about faulty scarring from lack of reorganization of repaired tissue. They never said that. And we certainly never heard that inflammation was good or bad. In fact, I don't recall ever hearing the word inflammation my whole way through playing uh, uh, childhood sports. Right? And I played until I was 19. I never heard the word inflammation. Then it became a bad word. It became a bad word. Oh, you don't want inflammation. No, actually you do. Oh no, you got to prevent inflammation. No, you don't want to prevent it. You don't want the waste to accumulate at the end of the inflammatory cycle. That's what you don't want. That's called swelling. You do not get rid of swelling by blocking inflammation. You get rid of swelling by activating the muscles in and around the damaged site and moving the waste
0: to the passive lymphatic system. So you're, you said this term, walk it off. It sounds like a simple thing, or it sounds like, you know, in modern, the modern era, it's like, ah, that's a tough guy, coach. He might be uh, just trying to put his player in more damage, doesn't care about his health. But from the things you're talking about, that, that might be an, an awesome prescription if that athlete is still able to move that limb or, or whatever might have been damaged. Get up and walk it off. I, for, at least in my experience, I always noticed that if the kid stopped moving, that was it. He was done. So we would tell him, you know, get a band, wrap it around your angle, mobilize it. But it just seems like walk it off is, is some great, simple advice. Well, that's
1: been the recommendation since the beginning of time, by the way. So since the beginning of time, when human beings were damaged, okay, let's just go back to the beginning of time. Do you think that if you you stubbed your toe, you sit there and whine for three days? No, you move. So what I say about that is this. Regardless of what you believe, I don't ask anyone to have any beliefs that they don't want to have or that they think are are wrong, but I'm just going to call it the great creator. When the great creator invented the human body, the great creator said, you know what? We're going to need a way for this individual to self heal because if we don't, uh, I can't get to everybody. So there's going to be a need for the human body to self repair. And to make the human body self repair, you had to pick a method, the stimulus, that you could count on. Well, the only thing you could really count on, remember, this is the beginning of time. The only thing you could count on was not going to the, to the food store or not, you know, not going to the hotel. The only thing you could count on is movement. And movement or loading the tissue, walking it off, you could always count on. So when you activate the muscles in and around the damaged site that evacuates the waste via the parasympathetic system that increases the flow in of the good guys, so the repair and cleanup crew. that reorganizes the repair tissue so that that reorganization uh, eliminates the opportunity for the scarring, the folly scarring, which maintains your joint range of motion. And then that activation prevents or retards the disuse atrophy. So if you were in charge of humans so that they could self-repair, how would you make it work? Where you'd make it work off of muscle loading or, or, or walking it off—it's the only thing you could count on. Now I'm making that up. I don't know what was in the creator's great, uh, the great creator's mind, but I look at it and I go, "That's brilliant." Okay, the same thing that brings in the repair and cleanup crew takes out the waste, reorganizes the repair tissue, and prevents systemic issues, atrophy. The same stress. Does all four things, brilliant. By the way, just think if individual things did each thing. So one thing brought the good guys in. One guy took the bad, one thing took the bad guys out. One thing reorganized repair tissue. One thing the retarded tissues atrophy. Could you imagine the nightmare for the process of healing? It had to be a single stimulus in everything. Well, that's what it is. That's why walking it off works. And what I recommend, is that you use the walking off idea, Well, I recommend a muscle stimulation device that lets you electronically walk it off. So you're saying, oh, it's his ankle, he can't really walk. Well, can you wiggle your toes? Well, yeah. Can you flex your calf muscles? Well, yeah. Can you flex your quad muscles? Well, yeah, we'll do that. And that'll help evacuate the waste and begin the process of decongesting the tissue in and around the damaged site. How long will you do that for manually? Five minutes, maybe 10. I doubt you can find someone that will do it for 15 minutes. And you certainly won't do it five or six times a day. Well, in the beginning, the first 48 hours, you probably need to do it six to 10 hours a day. So you're likely not on, a, on a more significant injury, you know, a third degree ankle sprain. You're going to need to do it a lot. So to do it manually, that's not practical. Now, can you? Sure, if this were the beginning of time, You'd have to keep walking and moving around because if you didn't, you'd starve to death or get eaten by a lion or whatever. So you'd have to keep moving. But today we have a little better lifestyle and we're not really subjected to those kinds of risks in the world. So how about if I electronically walk it up? How about if I activate the muscles in the bottom of your foot? How about if I activate the muscles in your lower calf muscle, or in your lower leg and your calf muscles? How about if I activate your thigh? And I activate those muscles in such a way that it it mimics walking it off but you're doing an electronic thing. You're putting no stress on that injured ankle. What a great idea. Well,
0: that's what we do. So just so I'm clear, uh, I get injured, but now I don't have the ability to mobilize that area. You're saying this electronic stimulation will will actually do it for you without doing more harm to the area that was injured.
1: We've been doing it for 38 years. I have over 1,000 clinics across the over 5,000 clinics across the country that use our technology. I have over 100 professional athletic teams that I have direct contact with. And I have over 500 collegiate teams along with the military. So I don't say you could. We do. <laughs> and one, one of the stories that I often tell is a great story. Uh, and I would be willing to confirm this to you. I'm not going to give the person's name on air. But... I'll give you his name so you can talk to him. So here's what happened: uh, there was a player on a U.S. team who had a longitudinal quad tear, and the trainer sent me an email saying, "Gary, that's to it what just happened. Longitudinal quad tear. They measured the blood in the quad with ultrasound." Now this is an international level team. Okay, this is this. They're going to the World Championships, so this is a major player for a U.S. United States of America team. Longitudinal quad here, they measured the blood in the quad with ultrasound. They activate the muscles in and around the damaged site for about six and a half hours. Following day, quoting now, following day, measured the blood in the quad with ultrasound. The trainer's words, who is an athletic trainer, an ATC, and a DPT, a doctor of physical therapy. The trainer's words, gone, G-O-N-E, gone, gone, not there anymore, Period turned a four to six week injury into running in three days and playing in the world championships in 10. Now you're tempted, I guess, if you're a listener and you never heard anything like this to say, that can't be true. Well, first of all, as the host of the show, I will give you that trainer's phone number and email so you can talk to him and, and confirm it's true. But here's what the big point is. The trainer said to me when I called him, Gary, I was shocked at how fast doing what you said sped things up. I said it didn't. He said, no, Gary, I've been doing this 25 years. It's a four to six week problem. I said, no, it's a four to six week problem if you mismanage it. Mm. By that, I mean this. Under normal conditions, normal meaning the way they do things wrong, they would have iced, compressed, rested, elevated. So what they would have done was trap the waste in and around the damaged site and prevent the natural flow of oxygen and supplies. That would have begun immediately, suffocating and killing otherwise perfectly healthy cells that were not involved in the initial trauma. That would have led to faulty scarring from a lack of movement, because you would not be reorganized to repairing tissue. That would have led to systemic disuse atrophy. But let's just go to that, that third day again. Third day under the mismanagement, they're on crutches and they can't wiggle their toes because it hurts so bad. Yep. The swelling's down past their knee. And you go, well, well, Now wait a minute. No, way. it gets worse. A week and a half out, they're still on crutches, and they're just starting to bend their knee again. At two weeks, two and a half weeks, they're off the crutches, and they're starting to wait there. I had her running in 10 days. No, I'm sorry, running in three days, playing in a world championship in 10. So why? Not because it sped things up. It normalized the rate of recovery because we didn't have the obstacles to repair and we didn't cause additional damage. So, if your goal is to preserve and regenerate, prevent further loss, decongest the area, restore circulation, prevent tissue atrophy, reorganize, repair tissue, and regenerate that which has been destroyed, that's all contingent upon loading of tissue and muscle activation. That's how it works. So, it wasn't to me, fast. We didn't speed anything up. All we did was normalize the rate of recovery by removing the obstacles. And I have hundreds of stories like that. That just happened to be one that was documented in writing and they ultrasound and measured the blood. But we do it. It's, it's normal in my network. If, 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 there's a recent article in Men's Health. If you uh, put in Men's Health Ice Lindsay Barra that's the person that uh that wrote the article. Uh, Lindsay Barra is a um uh well uh, interesting Lindsay Barra is Yogi Berra's granddaughter. Yep. So it's kind of cool who she is. But Lindsay Barra is a very accomplished professional writer writes for uh, uh, for in the past for Men's Health for she just had a feature article in in New York Times on the first uh, female uh, batting coach in the majors. Uh, she wrote for ESPN she and appeared on camera on ESPN and for major league baseball.com So I say that not to build her up, but to make the point. This is a very credible article in men 's health. Read it it 's got people in there who have listened to me and done what I said. remember i 'm not making up what they do i 'm reporting to you what the literature says you 're supposed to do, just unwinding the myth of the rice protocol. Read what the people said. You will read the article and you'll be like, "Well, do you have references. Uh, yeah, all the references are there, so they're all there." And then you can go to my website, garyrhino.com, and I have a dozen or more feature articles with hundreds of references that prove what I'm saying is true. Or you can read my book if you want, if you like to read. So whatever you like to do, I've got the information there for you. But this tide has al- this this point has already tipped. Okay, over a million people have heard this message. So we're no longer looking for someone to believe me. It's done. I got the guy who made up the protocol of the can't and write the forward to my book. This is a done deal. Now all we gotta do is get the message out to people.
0: And I, I read your book. I read the article. It's it is awesome. Uh, everything you have put out so far has been incredible. I'd say the one thing that I liked about the book that you mentioned was, you know, now you're working with a lot of these professional organizations, these elite trainers for professional sports teams. And I'm thinking, wow, this guy sold it. But the point you made was, you know, you don't the, the, you're in this elite circle. And now I'm thinking, OK, for my world, mostly high school athletes, there's a whole broader audience that I'd love to get this message to, which is really why I got you on the show, because the more, more and more people need to hear this because there's a lot of other athletes from, I don't know, it's a first grade. From the time they step on a field, the second they get hurt, somebody's throwing ice on it. So I, I love that you're helping spread this message. I, I, I appreciate everything you're doing.
1: I want to tell you something about that, and, and I, it meant a lot to me that you said that because that's the whole point. Um. Here's what I care about. The high school, let's just pick pitcher. It wouldn't matter, any sport. It could be a a softball pitcher, a female, or a hardball pitcher, a male. A high school pitcher. And they've got a chance. They're a junior. And they've got a chance to get a full ride to a major college to play baseball, softball. And they're mismanaged. And they're told to ice their arm and do this, and all they're just mismanaged. And the week before the Scouts are coming down to confirm that, in fact, they're going to offer a scholarship to this athlete, the player develops a little bit of uh, aggressive pain in their arm. And now the geniuses all step in and tell it, ICE!" Get up at 2 a.m. ice it again, ice it in the morning, ice it at night. Okay, here's what goes wrong. That athlete doesn't get the scholarship. That athlete doesn't get to go, and the opportunities that follow are no longer there. I don't believe anyone has the right to kill someone else's dream. That's completely unacceptable to me. So often people will say to me, were you saying that people that do the rice protocol are are mismanaging their athletes? Okay, let me make sure I'm perfectly clear here. Yes. (laughs) Yes, it's wrong and I can prove it. And all you gotta do is ask them, do you think it's a good idea to trap the waste in and around the damaged site and prevent the natural flow of oxygen supplies? Do you think it's a good idea to suffocate and kill otherwise perfectly healthy cells that were not involved in the initial trauma. Do you think it's a good idea to develop faulty scarring so a functional mo- the functional range of motion is compromised? Do you think it's a good idea to pr- to cause tissue atrophy? Do you think that makes sense? Because if you do, get away from that person and find somebody different. I actually had someone say to me, well, "What if my doc tells me to do?" I say, "Find a different doc." I- and okay, that's how you do this: find a
0: different doc. And I love that you're you're bringing up the points of atrophy and killing otherwise healthy cells because people don't realize that either, that yeah, maybe I injured my ankle, but now when I come back because I haven't moved it, because I haven't mobilized it, that muscle hasn't moved in a while, now I'm coming back a a worse athlete than I was before.
1: Exactly the reason that the athlete I just described to you in the story a minute ago about the longitudinal quad pair, the reason they were able to come back so fast isn't because I sped things up, it's because I prevented so much further damage. Let's just say they were a 10 in, in function before they got hurt. Now they're hurt, they got longitudinal tear. The now they're an eight. Following my direction, which is right out of the literature and decongesting the urines, restoring circulation and preventing faulty scarring and preventing tissue atrophy and facilitating the process of muscle regeneration by loading the tissue, by doing all of that, you're able to come back from the 8 to a 10 with hardly any effort at all. Three days running, 10 days playing in the World Championships. This is not complicated. Let's say you follow a traditional and you did the Rice Protocol. You went from a 10 to an 8 when you got hurt and probably dropped to a 4 by the time they were ruining you six weeks later. It's a nightmare to do it wrong. Now you've got to come back not from an 8 but from a 2. Yep. Why would you ever want to do that to someone? And here, here's the, the huge point. And please, everyone take a second and actually listen to me right now. That particular athlete I just described had an impact in, going, in, in the game that, went, that led in the semifinals that led to the finals. So they mattered in the game. They contributed significantly to the winning in the semifinals. They then went to the finals and they won a world championship. They then stood on the podium when our our national anthem was played and a gold medal was put around their neck. They then come home and they can tell that story for the rest of their lives to their friends, to a rotary club, whoever asked them to talk, to anyone they meet. And someday when their grandchild sitting on their lap, they can tell the story about how one day they helped their team win in the semifinals and play in the world championship game and stood on the podium and got a gold medal while they played the national anthem. Nobody has a right to mismanage that athlete and stop that storyline.
0: So I was thinking about you this Sunday, watching a NFL game. The Rams are playing the Cowboys and Goff throws a pass. I think his hand hits a player's helmet. They bring him to the sideline, and they put heat on his hand as opposed to ice. Is that, is that a better option? Is heat a better option than ice?
1: Oh, this is your, one of those bad things because you're making me comment on people that know me. <laughs> um, so I'm going to answer your question generically, if you don't mind, because uh, I don't want to comment on trainers that I actually know. Because I don't know what they did, and I don't know why they did it, I don't know how they did it, and I don't know what their intent was. But...
0: And, and to be fair, I don't know exactly either. I just know there wasn't ice, and they said – on the, the announcer said there was heat. They could have done anything. I honestly don't know. I'm just – I'll ask so, the generic question. Is is heat better than ice? Okay.
1: So here's the thing. As I was doing my research, and it took me seven years, I interviewed – hundreds and hundreds of elite trainers, doctors and therapists all across the country. And I mean elite, I'm talking about it, all the major league baseball teams, the directors of rehab, uh, the Olympic Training Center, Apollo Ono's trainer, all over the country. If you were important and I could find you a name and a phone number and you agreed to see me, I went. And read hundreds and hundreds of articles. I read 13, well, 12 textbooks in Wikipedia. And I say it like that because Wikipedia, I consider the 13th textbook, actually was the most current and the most correct. So people may laugh at Wikipedia, but actually they update stuff daily. So it was really good. Textbooks sometimes are 7, 10 years old. What good's that? But when I read everything on the topic of ice, it forced you over into at times reading in the contrast fast because some people do hot and cold, hot and cold, and somehow they think that's going to help. But. I'm not even going to comment that it doesn't. It just, I don't want to go there for a second. I just want to go to your heat question. Here's the problem with putting heat on damaged tissue. When you have tissue damage, your immune system constricts the damaged vessels automatically, instantaneously. The second, the blood exits that vessel, as soon as it touches outside the endothelium cell, it fires and the body is already working on solving the problem. It constricts that vessel, converts ingredient in the blood, grows a clot, repairs the vessel, seven to 10 days or so, dissolves the clot and normalizes flow. The healthy surrounding vessels dilate and increase perfusion. In other words, the same thing that heat does, which dilates and increases perfusion, it dilates the vessels, you are passively increasing circulation into an area your immune system has already done that to. Now, what happens when you dilate vessels and increase perfusion? Well, you get accumulation of fluid, swelling. So why would you want to passively increase fluid to an area that your immune system has already regulated, it already did it, and now you're doing it more? Here's the problem with that. It's going in, and there's already too much going in, there's too little going out. So the problem is that there's, there's not, that there's too much inflammation, swelling going in, okay? It's not that there's too much going in, it's there's too little going out. So you're trying to solve the problem. I'll put the heat on, that'll feel good. No, actually you're dilating the vessels. That's not what you want. What you want to do is activate the muscles in and around the gamma site and evacuate that waste. So what you wanna do, in effect, is walk it off. You wanna squeeze your hand. You wanna squeeze a ball, not your hand. You wanna squeeze a ball. You have a ball, put a sock in your hand, squeeze the sock. That's what you do, that's how you move the waist. Remember, the question is, how do you preserve and regenerate tissue? How do you prevent further loss and regenerate that which has been destroyed? Not by putting heat on it. That's not how it works. How it works is the muscle activation in and around the damaged site to move the waste via that passive lymphatic system and to bring the repair and cleanup crew in via the vascular system. That's the way it works. Anything that does it passively is not to your advantage. Now, if you said, yeah, but it feels good. Okay, so you want to make it feel good for 30 seconds, go ahead. But don't make a habit of making it feel good because you're making the problem worse. Now, if you said, well, how about if I put heat on and I activate the muscle simultaneously? Okay, I can live with that. But just realize that you'd be better off not messing with your immune system's response because your immune system is so well-developed. Defi- so well Listen to what it does. It puts fingernails where they belong and eyelashes where they belong on everybody. I've never seen a How does that nose. Well, that's how smart your innate intelligence is. And if you think that you're smarter than your innate intelligence and you're going to make a decision about adding more fluid passively to a damaged site, think that through before you decide you're right.
0: And I I think I know what you're going to say to this, but uh, football players, and I'm saying that maybe they're not injured, but they're in football camp. They're trying to put this in as part of their quote unquote recovery protocol. They're jumping in an ice bath. What are your thoughts on that?
1: If the intent is to cool your body, your core temperature, it'll work. You could have put, you know, you could have run cold water. You could have taken a cold shower. That would work too. But, you know, there's the big drama of you getting in the cold tub and everybody seeing who can last the longest. If you tell me you feel better doing that and you're just doing it for that purpose and you want to bring your core temperature down, it'll work. There's a lot easier way to do that. Just take a cold shower. And that- it will work, but just so you know, if you're doing it following training, the literature clearly has established that it dampens both vascular and muscular adaptation. So the very reason you did the training, in other words, you wouldn't want to lift weights and then get in a hot tub and a cold tub. That would be a bad idea because you're going to dampen the, the training effect for, for those who know those kind of words, but it's adaptation. So you, you, you go to the weight room, You try real hard, you make yourself tired, and then you get in a cold tub, you're going to dampen both vascular and muscular adaptation, which was the intent of your training. So you're beating yourself up doing that. If you're doing it because uh, you say it makes you feel better, and you're just hot, and you want to cool down, okay, I I wouldn't do it, and I don't do it, by the way. I did it once, and I'm never going to do it again, because it's miserable to get in a cold tub. Uh, But if I believed it helped me, like some people say, I feel great when I get out. You know what? If you were really tired from, from practicing football, and you were really hot and you said getting in the cold tub makes you feel better. I'm not going to argue with you. I'll agree. Just understand it didn't facilitate recovery.
0: And I, 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 in terms of recovery, and again, we're not talking about from acute injury, but I've heard about things, uh, you know, foam rolling, lacrosse balls, that, that's not actually recovery. Is, is that correct? Would, would you consider that a part of a recovery plan? No.
1: no, again, I want to make very clear. I don't think anything. I simply categorize things. So let's look. What does recovery mean? The regeneration or the healing of damaged tissue, right? Is that fair to say that's what it is? Yep. Okay, if you get on a roller, what's your intent? To find a bad spot, roll it out, and beat it up. Now, how in the world could breaking adhesions, finding bad spots or rolling them out, how could causing damage possibly be part of recovery? I mean, if you're just going to be fair about it, there's no way it's recovery. You're deliberately causing damage. Now, is it the same as doing heavy squats? No, but it's clearly not in the recovery category. It's got to be in the training category. And I've explained that to uh, some really high level. We've got all these foam rollers in the recovery area of our, of our facility. Okay. They're in the wrong area. (laughs) What do you want me to tell you? But, But you see, they've been told it's a recovery technique. It is not. The intent is to cause damage. How could causing damage possibly be considered recovery? Oh. I see your point. Okay, you see my point? It doesn't mean it's bad, by the way. I'm not suggesting it's wrong. It's just not a recovery
0: technique. Right. Brilliant. Brilliant stuff. Uh, and, and something this is – that guys in our group, we've done. We've preached. So it, it's, it's awesome to hear you talk about it in this manner. It's completely opening up my eyes. And, and along the, – the, I guess. I
1: appreciate you, By the way, I want to tell you. Don't, don't lose your thoughts. I just want to say something to you about that because it's such a good comment. I appreciate that what you're saying because many people won't open their eyes. So it's a wonderful thing to hear someone who's talking to you, me, hearing you say you're opening my eyes. That's the whole point. That's what I do. I'm a reporter. I educate. I don't have an agenda.
0: And one of my questions that I wanted to ask you was, you know, in my mind, you're – You're some form of a celebrity. You've taught at the highest levels. You got a book out. What would even make you be willing to do a podcast with, with someone like me? Or even I emailed you. You emailed me right back. I asked you for a phone call. You gave me a phone call right back. What makes you have the ability to do this? Why do you want to do it?
1: No one has a right to stop that athlete from having their grandchild sit on their knee someday and tell the story about how they contributed to winning in the semifinals and had an impact in the finals and got a gold medal while the national anthem was being played. No one has a right to interrupt that. And I will continue until I believe that no longer happens. Now, why do I do it? You called me. I had a, uh, an individual call me the other day. Because I'm very available. All you got to do is email me and I'll call you back. Uh, it might take me a couple of days, depending on how busy I'm doing spring training. It, it, it gets a little harder because I'm all over the, I'm all over Florida and Arizona to all the teams. But most of the time I'll get back to you within 24 hours. If I don't, it'll be 48, but I'll get back to you and say, look, I can't do it for a couple of days, but I'll get back to you. And I had a, a young athlete say, uh, he was a, a junior in college, I think. So I guess that means you're like 19 or 20. And he said, uh, well, my mom didn't think that, that you'd answer. And I said, well, why not? And he said, well, she said I was probably wasting my time emailing. And I said, wait, stop. Let me tell you something. I never looked up your name. I don't know who you are. I don't know if you're a professional baseball player who gets paid $10 million a year, or if you're somebody who's just trying to make it in the world and doing the best you can. I never looked up who you are. And he went, oh, I said, let me tell you something. Did you ever feel like I was rushing you? He said, no. I said, do you understand exact same answers. I gave you the exact same answers that I would have given to a professional athlete. Nothing different. The exact same answers. The exact same amount of time. And he was shocked. It's like, no. Now, all I ask is, and I say to every person I talk to, I I talked to you before I probably said it, all I ask you to do is tell somebody else. And ask them, after you teach them, to tell somebody else. Now, with over a million people hearing my message, I have over a million. Now, when, when one person tells, that's two million. When one person tells, that's four million. You see how we're at the tipping point? So that's all I ask. I don't know who you are. I, I, by the way, I have no idea what you do. you I, I never looked you up. That's not what I do. You can deliver the message. You. Can, you can help someone who has a chance to stand on a podium and get a gold medal while the national anthem is being played. That's all that matters to me.
0: So what – you know, we had talked about this on our first phone call, and our guys love these type of stories. But when you first started talking about this, I'm sure you weren't welcomed with open arms. What gave you the will to keep having these conversations and to really, I'd say, almost fight, scratch, and claw to get your way to talk – get your way in to talk to such high-profile trainers? Where did this come from?
1: Well, I wasn't mismanaged as an athlete. I reached my height. And I lost in the national championships, I uh, not because I was mismanaged, but because the other people were better than me. So when I look back, I don't wonder if I could have won if I had been properly managed. I don't know what happened. I got beat because the other people were better. You should lose because your competition is better than you, not because you're mismanaged. That's what keeps me going. Because I know how I feel when I think about when I competed, and I know how I feel when I lost. But when I look back and I say, I wasn't mismanaged, I just wasn't as good as my competition. I have no ill feelings. Imagine if today I realized I had been mismanaged and I lost, not because my competitors were better than me, but because I was mismanaged that would torture me today. I have no torture and no one else should have torture. So that's what keeps me going. It's a, it, that's why it matters to me because I know how good I feel when I tell people about when I competed in the national championships that I was involved in. Win, I don't care if I didn't win. I tell the story about how I competed, how, how I won the East Coast, how, how I went to the nationals thinking I was gonna win. When I got there, there are people who are better than me. I have no problem with that. But how would I feel if I lost because I was mismanaged? No one, no one has the right to take someone else's dream away from me.
0: Now, the, the crew that I train, they're a highly competitive bunch. They're constantly challenging each other. I, I'm going to change gears slightly because you, you do have a pretty interesting life uh, before any of this happened. And I'm assuming that some of this had given you the will to, to be the man you are today. But can you tell the story about the, the pull-up record? Uh, I believe it was at your high school and, and how you challenged that pull-up record of, of 41 pull-ups.
1: Well, it was one of those things that I, I made a decision uh, that I was going to break that record. And when I first started, um, I wasn't really qualified to break the record. Um, but I said, I can do that. I thought I can do it. And to confirm that I was definitely going to make people aware I was going to break the record, uh, I took several of my buddies we were we were standing up... Uh, at the high school where we you know, we hung out. That was our place. And I said, hey, coming back here. I'm going to break the pull-up record, and I, I want to show you where I am right now. So I walked back, and I did 26 pull-ups that day, if I remember correctly. I'm pretty sure it was 26. It was around that number, but it wasn't 26, but I think it was 26. And uh, guys were impressed, and they were like, wow. And I said, I'm going to break that record. And that was before, you know, that was the summertime, a few days before school was starting back up. And the word got around that I intended to break the record. Well, as it turns out, there was another person who was far more muscular than me and much better known than me in athletics in the school, who said that he too was going to break the record and he was already able to do 41. I broke my heart, I was crushed and I quit, I stopped trying. Because if he already had 41, I only had 26, there was no way I was going to be able to beat him. Turns out that uh, it wasn't true. And, in fact, when we got to the team, I was on the Marine Corps National Physical Fitness Team, is what I competed in. And uh, he was one of our team members. And the first time I saw him jump on the chair um, sometime around – can you still hear me? Yes, yep. Okay, sometime around uh, February or so, he got on chin-up bar and uh, he, he didn't even do like 15 or 16 chins. And I'm like, what? At that point, I was up over 30. But I stopped trying to break the record because I assumed he was going to break the record and kill me. I'd never be able to catch him. Well, I never got bluffed again. And for the rest of time, Till now, by the way, and I can't imagine I'd stop at this point. But no one's ever bluffed me again. I make sure something's true, which is really what got me un- to understand the rice protocol was wrong because I didn't believe that people said, "Oh, do that; it's how you get rid of swelling; it's how you prevent swelling; it's how you get, make it heal." I said, "Well, show me that. Let me see that's true." And I always remember that athlete who bluffed me, and because of him, I didn't break the record. I did 39 pull-ups. And I clearly, I'm positive I would have broke the record if I hadn't stopped from September to February, but I basically just stopped because, you know, there was no point in trying to do something that I knew someone else far exceeded what I could possibly do. Don't let people bluff you. Don't believe anything. You focus on your goal and do your training and get good advice. I didn't have that. I made a mistake. I never made the same mistake again.
0: Uh, th- there's so much from that story that's great. First off, that you, you had this goal in mind. You publicly stated it. You, it's almost like in our world, we say we write it down, let everybody know. Then you learned from th- the failure of being bluffed. I, I just th- There's so much to it that you didn't say, oh, I give up for the rest of my life, that it only made you stronger as you went forward. And I, I think there's another great story in the book I'm, a, I'm where – i'll allude to that you are a runner at a certain point you had run i think it was said it was 63 miles from you ran from philadelphia to the jersey shore but what i want to talk about is you were running in. i believe it was baltimore you fell down you broke your collarbone (laughs) and and the normal person packs it in what'd you do after you fell down and broke your collarbone
1: well i I wish it was a video because it was very funny if you never broke your collarbone and you're lying flat on the sidewalk. Uh, you don't realize you can't get up, <laughs> so you kind of got to roll over to your side and sort of wiggle and get yourself back up. Uh, but I fell and had a clean mid-shift fracture, uh, broke it right in half, and uh, I stood up and a woman came running over to me, who a fellow runner, and uh, she said, "Look, stay still. I'm, I'm going to call. I'm going to call for." I said, "Stop. I, I don't need you to call anybody." And she said, "No, no. Listen. I just." I said, "Look." I'm fine. I broke my collarbone. I, by the way, I knew it was broken. It snapped right in half, and I could hear it and feel it. I knew it was broken. And I said, I'm just going to go back to, the, to my hotel, and you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be fine. She said, no, no, you can't do that. And I said, well, no, I'm going to do that. She said, well, no, you do it yourself, then I'm going with you. I said, look, if you're willing to go with me, that's probably a good thing. Just come on. So we started running, and about uh, 10 steps into it, uh, I, I kind of, oh. She said, what's wrong? I said, oh, it's not back in the place. It feels way better now. <laughs> and ran all the way back to the hotel and uh, got to the hotel and she asked me, you know, are you okay now? I said, well, that's still broken, but uh, it feels a lot better than it did when you first met me. And uh, so I thanked her. Unfortunately, I never got her name. I only wish I could thank the woman because she actually ran out of her way a couple miles back to the hotel with me to make sure I was okay. And uh, never asked for anything, you know, never met nothing. She just didn't want me to go on my own. And I uh, got to uh, my doc the next day. And uh, I, I was in Baltimore when I broke it. And I knew a, a surgeon in Philadelphia. And I, I said, look, I'm just going to drive to Philly because if I have to have surgery, I want to have it done by somebody I know. So that was on a Sunday morning, on Monday afternoon when I got to him. And, and I had, uh, you know, a, a, I, I, he, he's friendly to me. He's, he's my co-author in a lot of my papers. So he came walking and he said, you know, what's going on? I said, I broke my collarbone. He goes, well, let's take a picture and see how it looks. So he takes a picture and he comes back in. He puts it up on the screen. He goes, see that line there? And I said, yeah, he goes, that that line doesn't belong there, that white line that's broken in half. He said, you know, I wouldn't have thought it was broken. I said, why is that? He said, well, you weren't very much pain and there's basically no swelling. And I said, well, that's because I've been activating the muscles in and around the damaged site for 16 of the last 25 hours. So That's why. And he looked at me and he went, so he went to hand me some medication. He wrote a note and wrote a note. And I said, doc, I I don't need anything. And he goes, no, Gary, listen, you're going to need it. I said, no, let me tell you something. If I was ever going to need it, it would have been last night when I thought I was going to need surgery today. Now you tell me it's perfectly aligned and I don't need (laughs) surgery. I clearly don't need medication. And he looked at me, he goes, you're serious. I said, no, I am totally serious. I don't need or want anything. Why would I want to take a drug that shuts off the signals that alert me to harmful movement? Now, you got to think this through. Why do they take drugs when they break their collarbone? So they can sleep, right? Okay, so let me get this straight. You're going to make it numb. You're going to fall asleep. And the whole time you're sleeping, you're in a position that's distracting the fracture site. Does anyone recommend that? Because that's what's going to happen. See, every time I fell asleep not on drugs, I woke up within the next half second because that was a bad position. You don't want to take a drug and numb it out so you can't feel you're in a bad position. That's distracting the fracture site. So I was like, wow, that was pretty interesting how that worked. Uh, Then the doc said to me, he said, Gary, you got to be careful because people our age, at that point, I was in my 60s. And he said, people our age can often develop a um, a frozen shoulder from something like this. And I I just want to keep you aware. I said, don't worry, doc, I'm not got frozen shoulder. And he said, Well, look, here's what I want you to do, you know, like ten days or whatever. He wanted me to start walking my fingers up the wall in the shower. I'm like, Doc, I did that this morning. (laughs) And he's like, What? I said, I did I started that this morning. I said, I've been doing this stuff since 1973. I knew I'm supposed to walk up the wall. I didn't know I was supposed to wait till ten days, but I already started. At six days post break, I had my arm fully extended above my head. Now, people say, wow, that's incredible. No, it's not. I didn't allow the waste to accumulate in and around the damaged site. I never allowed it to swell. I evacuated the waste. I didn't look at the inflammatory response as a problem. I looked at it as a benefit. I didn't look at the swelling as an issue. I simply identified it as waste that's accumulating because I have not yet evacuated it. So I evacuated it. So It's that simple.
0: Aside from just running back to your hotel room. Did you also use electronic stimulation? Is that what you did when, when you got back?
1: Oh, yeah. For, for, for over 16 hours of the next 26 or so, 25, I, have, I, was, I was pumping. The only reason it was off is because I had to charge the battery. <laughs> That's the only time I turned it off. I never, never turned it off. <laughs> Look, I know what's going to happen. See, here's how it works. Let's say you knew it was going to snow 24 inches the next 24 hours. You knew it one inch per hour. It's coming. You're guaranteed it's going to snow 24 inches next 24 hours, one inch per hour. If every hour on the hour you'd open your front door, with a good stiff broom, you could effortlessly keep your sidewalk clean of one inch of snow. If, however, you wait till morning and open your door to 24 inches of angry snow, I assure you it will not be effortless and you will not do it with a good stiff broom. You get how it works? I knew it was going to swell if I did not Clear one inch of snow every hour. So I just pumped it and pumped it and pumped it and pumped it and never allowed the 24 inches of angry snow to accumulate. So that's why when my doc looked at me, he said, I didn't think it was broken because you weren't hardly in any pain at all. And uh it wasn't swollen. Well, no kidding, it wasn't swollen. I didn't have congestion building up with 24 inches of angry snow. And by the way, the pressure that accompanies that 24 inches of angry snow will make it very painful. Mine wasn't painful at all. In fact, I basically didn't have any pain so long as I kept in a neutral position because I never had swelling. And then what happened was because I didn't take drugs, I didn't numb it out, I never slept in a position that distracted the fracture site. So I, again, skipped healing time because I didn't do something that made it worse. Remember the goal? The goal, to prevent further loss and regenerate that which has been destroyed. Well, preventing further loss, I got rid of all the congestion. I normalized circulation in and around the dammy site. I reorganized the repair tissue starting immediately. I prevented or retarded the disuse atrophy. So it's like, well, this is a really good thing you've done. Well, yes, what everyone should do.
0: So this is a good time to come full circle to the original scenario. This running back comes through the hole, tweaks his ankle, limps off the field on his own. What is the right thing that we should do?
1: Focus on the goal. Prevent further loss and regenerate that which has been destroyed. That is the goal. Now, here's the great news. Every trainer, doctors, and therapist knows exactly what to do to accomplish those two tests. You see, you, you might think I'm going to tell you something profound about how to prevent further loss or how to regenerate that which has been destroyed. No, they, they learned it in school. They know exactly what to do. They know the passive lymphatic system only works if you activate the muscles in and around the damaged site. They know that that will increase the circulation in and the weight, the good stuff in and the waste out. They know that. They know that will restore the circulation in around the damaged site by call co- by, by stimulating what's called sprouting angiogenesis. It actually puts the vessels back around the damaged site that are restro- destroyed when, you, when the damage occurs. So they know that. It's not news, I didn't make that up. I didn't read a textbook and say, oh, here's what happens. No, that's what happens. So if you change your thinking from I'm going to do the rice protocol to instead I'm going to do things that prevent further loss, And regenerate that which has been destroyed if you if you only have that goal and you only do things that do that okay is this going to prevent further loss is this going to regenerate that which has been destroyed okay let's ask the crazy question back to your full circle do you think after all this time speaking with me that sitting still with a bag of ice wrapped tightly around the area is going to preserve and regenerate the tissue
0: no way absolutely not
1: okay then don't do that (laughs) So what does? Everyone knows if you don't walk it off, electronically walking it off, I think is the safest, most controlled way. And by the way, I have over 100 pro teams that electronically walk it off. So this isn't like you're going to be on your own. Our medical product, which is a prescription product, same technology as our over-the-counter product, is in over 5,000 clinics across the country. We've been around for 38 years. This is not news. Everyone who's in the business knows that until you decongest the area in and around the damaged site, results are compromised. And what has everyone ever told you about a swollen ankle? Ah, if I could just start walking again, if I could just move it. (laughs) Okay, how about if I electronically move it for you? And we get that waste out, and now you don't have the problem anymore.
0: And I got to ask you this question. It's it's the last one I'll ask. I know we've been talking for a while, but our our crew, they are big fans of uh, the book, uh, becoming a supple leopard some people love mobility wad uh, kelly starrett he said meeting you was the seminal moment in his career what does that mean
1: actually i had to look the word up <laughs> <laughs> I, I i was hoping it was a good thing <laughs> but uh when when he first because he wrote the forward to the first edition of my book and in my in my book my second edition i kept both kelly and Dr. Merkin, they each, I have two forwards to my book now because I wasn't going to take Kelly's off. And what it meant to me was, wow, um, this guy who is, in my opinion, I, I think in many people's opinion, one of the most knowledgeable strength, conditioning, physical therapy guys in the country. I, I mean, I I, did, I don't think you could name three other people who would be on the top of a list above him, at the very least, he'd be one of the four in almost anybody's list, he'd make a list. And I looked at him, I said, Kel, I really appreciate that. that. That makes me feel good. But let me ask you a question, and I'm asking you this question now also. Did I tell you anything that you didn't already know? Think about that. Did I tell you anything you didn't already know? And Kelly looked at me and said, no. I said, right. That's the whole point. So you don't have to go fact check everything I just told you. If you're in the business, you know what I told you is true. So it's like, oh, you didn't tell me anything I don't know, but I never thought like that before. That's what I did. I organized the facts and presented them back to you in a way that you can now focus on tissue preservation and regeneration, preventing further loss and regenerating that which has been destroyed. That should have been the goal the whole time. They screwed it up. I've unscrewed it.
0: I love it. So I, I just want to say thank you so much for doing this interview. Uh, I, I not only appreciate what you did, but I also love that your grit. I just reading that book, hearing about your sixty three point two mile run, that forty one pull up challenge, uh, you breaking your collarbone, getting back up. I mean to me that was that was as cool if not Cooler than your, your whole topic of conversation about not icing because at least to my audience, this is, this is kind of what we do. We just compete and compete and compete, and in my mind, I think that competitive spirit really plays a part of, to your will to just keep pushing and pushing this issue. Uh, I love it. So thank you for what you did. I just want to ask you, is there a way that people can find out more about you? What's, what's the easiest way for them to find out more about you and learn more about what you're doing?
1: Well, all of my information is available on my website, GaryReinald.com. That's rein com. If you pull that article from Men's Health, written by uh, Lindsey Berra, if you put in Men's Health, Lindsey Bera, ICE, ICE. Uh, it'll pop up, and then my name is right there, and you can easily get to my book from there, on my, and I'll take you to my website. My book's the only thing that's for sale, and that's just because it costs money to make all my articles are free and all you got to do is print them and hand them out. So they're all, they're all listed down below and you just print them and hand them out. Um, and then uh, if you're interested in the uh, technology, the electronic walking it off device that I recommend, you can go to markpro.com, M A R C pro.com and you can look that up. But please note that I never said that name while we were talking yep. and I don't, that's not why we're doing this. Uh, electronically walking it off, the product that I recommend that I'm involved with is the Mark Pro. It doesn't mean that you can't walk it off by doing ankle pumps or squeezing a sock. That actually works. Um, it's the muscle activation that solves the problem, not the ankle pumps, not squeezing the sock, not Mark Pro. It's the muscle activation. Now, if you're looking for a convenient, easy, controlled way to walk it off, Doing it electronically is the most practical that I've ever seen. Uh, Doing ankle pumps, um, if I rolled my ankle, I would do ankle pumps if I didn't have a device. Uh, So if I was someplace and whatever reason I don't have it with me, I'm going to do ankle pumps and I'm going to wiggle it and I'm going to flex my quad and my calf and I'm going to do that as much as I can. But the reality is that gets boring after about 10 or 15 minutes. And, yeah, then I'd come back and I would do it again. But even me, who knows you need to make sure that 20 inches of angry snow never accumulates, it's, it's hard to get to do. It's just hard. Or electronically, you put it on, you've got a 15-hour battery, you're good to go.
0: And I think I want to challenge my guys to actually uh, do that. If we get another big snowstorm here in uh, New York City, I, I want to challenge them to go out every hour on the hour and, and get that snow up. Because that just seems like a, an awesome activity to do in and of itself.
1: So, so you're in New York?
0: Yes, yes. New York.
1: The Rangers, the Islanders, the Mets, the Jets, the Nets, the Giants. And I think that's everybody that I have in New York that, that uses my product that I know.
0: Awesome. Keep them healthy. We, we need the help.
1: Um, well, it's, uh, it's one of those things where you look at it and you say, what's your job? To preserve, prevent further loss and regenerate that which has been destroyed. Okay, that's your job. Now, do things that do that. If it doesn't do that, don't do it. Sitting still with a bag of ice wrapped tightly around it clearly doesn't do that.
0: All right, well, Gary, thank you again so much. Uh, I look forward to to all the future work, and I will personally do my best to keep spreading spreading this message and uh, help the meltdown continue, as you say. Again, thank you so much.
1: I appreciate it. Thank you very much.
0: All right. Talk to you soon, Gary. Thank you. Bye.
1: Bye.